I think with Biden, whether it's infrastructure or, or whether it was a stimulus package, we're, we're finally putting people first. It's not enough to, to sit back and say, well, I don't do it, so it's okay, or I support this or that. But I think we got to get vocal. And I think we have to be not afraid to alienate some people along the way. It's going to happen. But I, I think I'm comfortable doing it and I'll, I'll continue to do it. Hi, listeners, and welcome to a special episode of Citizen Chef. My name is Christopher Asiotis, and you don't know my voice, but I'm the executive producer of this show. My team here at iHeart has been working tirelessly with Tom Colicchio over the past year to put together a show we hope inspires you to know more about the food you eat. And as we're looking forward to season two, we wanted to sit down and talk to Tom himself about his plans, about how he spent the last year, this year that's been so strange for all of us. But we're at a point where there is a little bit of hope. But that's something that Tom also feels strongly about. And so he really wanted to share with you, the listeners, a little bit about what's inspiring him for the future. Tom is currently in his home in New York. I'm in studio in Atlanta. But while we can't invite you into Tom's restaurants, what we can do right now is invite you into Tom's living room, into his den, into wherever in his house is quietest because he's got a new puppy. Tom, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. I know we're busy getting ready for the new season of the show, uh, and, and you're certainly busy keeping your restaurants afloat. But I would just like to dive into what the last year has been like for you. Oh, wow. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been kind of up and down. A year ago today, we closed all our, all of our restaurants, and so I had to lay off about 470 people. And that was rough. The, the last service we had was on a Sunday. And I remember going into the restaurant and bartender who's been with me 20 years, he was in there having dinner with his family. And all I can do was to, to keep myself from losing it at the table. It was, it was a terrible day. Yeah. Even then, I had a, a good idea from talking to friends I have in, in government that there was going to be a pretty robust unemployment package. So I felt at least people were going to get through, but then some of my employees weren't eligible to receive unemployment for various reasons. So listen, it was, it was, it was tough. And then thinking about what my immediate plans were going to be, I was out of a job. I had no idea if we were going to shoot again on you know, TV, how long it was going to take to get the restaurants open. It was rough. Very soon after closing the restaurants, about a day later, I, I received a phone call from a friend of mine who was working for a talent agency. And he said, well, you know, we have a foundation and we want to help restaurants. And I kind of laughed and I said, I don't think your foundation is big enough to, to help us, but uh, let's keep in touch. Soon after that, I received another phone call from a friend who, when I worked at Food Policy Action, he was one of our lobbyists that we worked with. And half joking, I, I said, I think independent restaurants need a lobbyist. So let's make that happen. And so I called my buddy. I said, I think I know you can do it with your money. And that's how the Independent Restaurant Coalition was formed. We started to grow. It started with about 12 people. And we found a group down south that was involved. And another group out of Chicago and, and in San Francisco, Los Angeles, all over the country. And we had you know, one goal, and that was to reach out and make sure that our federal government understood you know, how bad things were, and then also get them to understand the scope of how many people independent restaurants employ, and just give them an idea of the general you know, economics if 80% of these restaurants closed. And it worked out and we managed to get our bill written in the House and in the Senate and the election with the new Congress, everything got thrown out the window. We had to start all over again, but we got through that. And our bill is now included in the stimulus package. So I spent the better part of the last year working on that. And then the other part was just trying to figure out what I was doing with our business. There's opening in the summer, closing again in the fall, reopening again. 
trying to figure out the best way to use PPP, opening a business and keeping staff safe. It's just been a it's been an up and down year. Right now, I'm feeling you know pretty optimistic. Business wise, we started shipping these boxes out, and that's done really well. So far, we got by. We lost out of our four restaurants in New York. One of them is permanently closed, but other than that, the other restaurants are opened up. L.A. We just reopened. Vegas, they're open. It's a more of a licensing deal. They're open, but we're we're managing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Right now is a time of, I think, cautious optimism in the country. And there's been a lot of focus, especially from the Independent Restaurant Coalition, on dealing with the effects of the pandemic. But one thing that in your career you've always focused on is is not just what's directly in front of you, what, what the apparent problem is, but digging deeper and looking further down the line. So what can the Independent Restaurant Coalition and groups like it turn their focus to long-term after some of the immediate negative impacts of of the COVID pandemic have been addressed? Yeah, that's a great question because we're struggling with that as well as an organization. So we're going through some changes. Number one, we're, we're moving away from a, a, a C4 a lobbying group and, and more towards a C6, which is a trade organization. So we're doing that work. You know, after that, I'm sure we're going to end up working on whatever comes our way, whether it's healthcare that can really help our industry, minimum wage on a federal level or a local level. Mostly we'll be involved in helping craft these various bills. And, you know, we want to get involved early on and shape these programs as opposed to letting them happen to us. And so that's what I think we're looking at coming up. There's not, there's no one particular thing we're looking at right now. Right now, we just got to get our, our house in order. Tom, these days you're known as much for your activism as you are for appearing as head judge on Top Chef for your restaurants. But I'm curious, it's easy working in this industry to, whether you're a line cook, a manager, front of house, back of house, you know, your shift ends, you go get a drink with friends uh, and coworkers back when that was still a thing that was easy to do. And it's easy to sit there and complain about the industry and then you go to bed and you wake up and the next day you just go right back to work. At, at what point did you decide, I can't just focus on the day-to-day and I need to address these bigger pictures? When did you move from being someone who was aware of the problems to someone who decided to address the problems? Yeah, sure. Let's unpack that a little bit because I think part of, of what you said there was really important because I was that person who would go out after work. But then when I opened my own restaurant, I realized that now I can make change. And what I used to do, not so much go out with the coworkers, but at the end of the night, all the servers would sit in the private dining room. So this is at Gramercy Tavern. And that's where they would you know, do their side work and stuff like that, close out the end of the night. And of course, everyone would bitch and moan, you know, problems with this, problems with that. And I would sit there and listen. And you know, I would go to a meeting the next day, the management meeting the next day and say, well, this is what I'm hearing. And this is some suggestions. And they're like, where are you getting this? And I'm like, one o'clock in the morning, you get a lot of information from waiters after they've had a couple of glasses of wine. It was about taking that information and then figuring out what to do with it. And that's how we made some real positive changes in our restaurants. It also helped like early on, Danny and I were very like-minded. I mean, at Gramercy Tavern, we cut out smoking before uh, we were mandated to. We offered insurance well before people were offering insurance. In fact, you know, a lot of our peers gave me a hard time. But when, when it came to actually trying to focusing on legislation, it really started with the issue around hunger. And I got to credit my wife, Lori, for the shift because you know I did a lot of work around hunger, but really raising money for various organizations. Chefs naturally gravitate towards the issue around hunger because we feed so many people who you know who can afford it. But we actually, so many of us think that, that food and nutritious food is, should be a right. But I would you know show up at events and bring food and to help raise money for No Kid Hungry, our Gods That We Deliver, our Meals on Wheels, City Harvest. And I thought I knew a bit about the issue. And then my wife was mentoring a, a young woman 
And so she would come to our house. Clearly, she was hungry. We would send food home. But then when she was in the school, the principal called and said, it's clearly this young woman is, is hungry. So my wife started, she's a filmmaker, and, and she decided to take on the issue of hunger uh, as a documentary, uh, Place the Table. And it was during that time that very quickly we learned that hunger in this country is more of a political issue or a lack of political will. It's not because we don't have the resource to feed people. When the film came out, it, it gave me a soapbox. And you know, obviously, I was on TV already. I had a following. So I was able to use that following and to you know, try to make some positive change around hunger. And that led to the founding of Food Policy Action, which was a, a lobbying group essentially set up to help craft legislation. But what we did is we actually published a scorecard. We graded Congress on how they voted around various food issues. And so that, that put me square into Capitol Hill. And we can't end hunger through charity. Charity can help it, help manage it, but we really need some legislation, updating the food stamp program, looking at school lunch, looking at school breakfast and getting as many people as possible. And there were a lot of different organizations that were working on this. A lot of these organizations, they were doing their charity work and they were afraid to get involved in politics. And we felt that's where we had to move people. You know, since the 80s, going back to Reagan, that was a message that government's bad. Government's the problem. No, government's not the problem. No, dumb government's a problem, but, but good government and good policy really can help a lot of people. You know, I think we finally are seeing that major shift. I think with Biden, whether it's infrastructure or, or whether it was a stimulus package, we're, we're finally putting people first. It's not enough to, to sit back and say, well, I don't do it, so it's okay, or I support this or that. But I think we got to get vocal. And I think we have to be not afraid to alienate some people along the way. It's going to happen. That I'm comfortable doing it, and I'll, I'll continue to do it. Can you tell me what it was like the first time you actually went into Congress to address the seat of power of our nation in person? Yeah. So the first time I did it, it was a hearing, a congressional hearing on, I believe it was school lunch. I'd go there and I had my speech prepared and it went really well. I mean, I was, I was more nervous giving my speech because I'm, I'm terrible reading a speech. And once I got through that, the Q&A part was fine. I actually got into it a little bit with one of the members. <laughs> it's interesting, but uh, it was scary. So Shelly Pingree, who is a a congresswoman from Maine. She had a, a townhouse on Capitol Hill and she would invite us afterward and 60 members would show up, mostly Democrats, occasionally get some Republicans in as well. You know, that's when you saw when the stuff really gets done. And you saw that how when Republicans and Democrats got together, they were all laughing, having a good time. I think a lot of that stuff that you see is really for the cameras. And a lot of times you can get it together and, and, and move something along. But you realize that this is how stuff gets done is, is by reaching out. It really works. And they want to hear from people. I think that sense of personal connection is, is what's really valuable in understanding that is what pulls a lot of the levers and, and drives decisions. One of the things we try to do on Citizen Chef is really take a deeper dive to take time to dig into an issue so that you have time to talk to the people that you find really fascinating to really understand and unpack issues from their perspective as, as well as from yours. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're interested in exploring on this upcoming season of the show? Yeah. So big changes at the USDA and you hear the USDA and I think the average person who clearly eats food, they don't understand how and what the USDA does. And so I want to probe that a little bit and see if they're modernizing, how are they going to modernize it? And how does that affect people? A lot of what the pandemic has sort of uncovered is the fragility of our food system. And so trying to figure out ways to modernize that. And there's several bills to get rid of the whole CAFO feedlot system. That's our way of, of feeding cattle and slaughtering cattle. Interested to see how that plays out. But also, clearly, it, it, the pandemic, a lot of people weren't able to feed themselves. And so now we understand the, the needs of what a, a strong, 
safety net can afford Americans. And so I think probing that a little deeper, we're still going to see regional storms that are going to really affect the food system. And I think that's not going to change. We saw a regional storm in Texas, uh, this ice storm, and you see the, the havoc that's wreaked. It's playing out now in ways where there's shortages of plastic and things like that. And so we're in a crossroads here. And, and the question is, how is government going to deal with some of these issues? How are we going to strengthen our food system? How are we going to make it more localized? That's uh, something that I, I want to continue to probe. But I think I also want to explore just certain restaurants as they open up, how are they doing? Because we're still a long way away. If I see one more America's open again, I'm, I'm going to put whatever hair I have on my head out because we're not open yet. Restaurants may be open, but people are still very hesitant to come out. And I think that the, the restaurant industry is still going to struggle. So yeah, there's a lot left to do. I think it's really building on what we started season one. You know, the comments that I got back from a lot of people is they didn't know. And that's what I love to hear that they, they learned something they didn't know about or they went deeper than we than they thought. And people, I want people thinking about food in terms of the system that we created, and, and think in terms of how does food get from seed to plate? What's the process? And people are becoming more and more interested in how their food gets there. Well, Tom, as we're sitting here recording this, it, it's the beginning of April. Top Chef is premiering on TV, and a lot of people know you through that. So it would be remiss of me not to ask you if you could give us a little preview of no spoilers, but let us know one thing that you ate this season while you guys were recording in Portland that really knocked your socks off. There was one dish in particular that I remember that I really enjoyed, but there were several. There was a lot of great food this season. Interesting season. We shot during COVID. We were in a bubble. We got to, to Portland, quarantined for 10 days. We had 150 people on the crew. They were all staying in a hotel. We were the only guests in the hotel and masks were worn, socially distant, temperatures taken. We had tests taken every other day. I had my puppet with me, so I would take her on walks and that was about it. We you know, got through, nobody got sick. The other cool thing, instead of flying guest judges in once a week, we had a, a pod of past contestants who were the diners and the judges. And that made for a real interesting perspective. It was it was a fun season to shoot considering you know how how shitty the world was and time to you know get away and we made we made great tv and there's some really cool things that came out of the fact that we were shooting you know under this, this scenario so you know like restaurant wars was completely different and and really worked out well we also really got into into some of the issues around diversity you know we 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 did some really neat things i can't i can't give it away i can't i can't tell you all the you know some of the groups that we that we worked with but it was it was a good season it really was Tom, you mentioned your new puppy, and can you promise listeners that at least in one episode, your puppy's going to make an appearance on the podcast? Well, we usually try to keep her quiet because I'm usually in this, like a, a closet, and, but I can bring her. I can bring her out if you want. She's always always ready to jump in. Her name is Tiki, which is the Hebrew word for hope. But her Instagram site is very Tiki Girl, sunk to Super Freak. She's great. She's a flat coated retriever. Our first flatty passed away last no, uh, November, I guess it was. And so we waited a few months and Tiki's, Tiki's got us, really got us through COVID. She's been great. Yeah. It's been a good year for, for pets because we're home with them. You know, they're going to freak out next year and all of a sudden they're home by themselves. It's like, where did we go? <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be a big change for them next year. I think after this past year, one thing we can agree on is that we need both more puppies and we need more hope. And it sounds like with her, you got both at the same time. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really hopeful right now. I think, you know, it's, it's, there's more shots in arms and more people are vaccinated and there's a lot of pent up demand out there. And every week we're hiring more people. Hopefully that continues and we'll get people back to work and eventually we'll get through it. We'll learn a lot from it and hopefully we're better for it. 
Tom, I just wanted to say congratulations not only on all the work you're doing, but also it's it's Kraft's 20-year anniversary. I'm sure this is not the way you imagined you'd be celebrating 20 years of your flagship restaurant, but well done nonetheless. Thanks. Yeah, tw- it is, it's 20 years, and we yeah, really didn't celebrate it. We did. I did some Zoom cooking classes around it, and we shipped out some of our favorite dishes and stuff like that, and that was great. But we're going to celebrate our 21st year. We're going to call it our, our legal age and we'll have a party around that. But uh, yeah, 20 years old and, and we're going to, we're going to make it to 21. Luckily for us, we got through and partly because we had a great landlord and we've been there 20 years and they appreciate us. And so they really worked with us to get through this. You know, Tom, you've mentioned on this call landlords a couple of times, and I think a $15 cocktail, it's not $15 because of the, of what goes in the glass. It's everything else around that. And one of those big things is real estate. You're absolutely right. Real estate, especially in New York and some of the other big cities, are really driving our costs. Rent is so much higher. It used to be rent was like eight percent of our of our costs. Now it's fourteen percent. So yeah, rent is it's just been it's been tough, and you know we're starting to see them come down a little bit. And I think there's going to be some opportunities there, but it's been really driving our costs. You know, the good thing is a lot of chefs who came and trained in New York are leaving the city, and they're opening up great restaurants. And so in a way. We're seeing great food in secondary and tertiary cities and and because that's where you can afford to open up a restaurant. We're seeing a big shift. There's some benefits to it, but retail left New York when you have uh, you know, Ralph Lauren Polo closed flagship store on Madison Avenue because the rent was too high and you just felt, I don't need to be there anymore. I don't, I don't need to lose money in the store to be here anymore. I think that's what's happening in food too. I think a lot of people are, maybe you, you did your first restaurant in New York, but your next two or three or four are not going to be in New York. Tom, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And anything you want to let listeners of Citizen Chef know? There's just going to be a season two, and I'm looking forward to it. It's, I've been heard from so many listeners that that they're ready for more. So yeah, ready to dig in. Perfect. Thanks so much. So that's it. That was our chat with Tom. I really enjoyed diving into this conversation. Tom already has a great idea of what he wants the upcoming season of Citizen Chef to be. But he's also looking for some suggestions from you, the listeners. So hop onto Twitter, pull up your Instagram account. You could find Tom at Tom Calicchio and let him know what you want to hear about. And make sure to use the hashtag CitizenChef. And I know a lot of you are probably already subscribers, but just in case you aren't, make sure you're subscribed to the show so when the new season launches, you will have first access to the new episodes. Thanks so much for listening today and for listening to the podcast. Stick around for the upcoming season of Citizen Chef with Tom Calicchio. It'll be hitting your phones and devices soon.